right, welcome everybody. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, uh, we probably have about, I don't know, a couple more classes left after today, uh, um, which is, uh, so there's two parts to this lesson. If, you, if you're following along in the book, uh, you know, two parts to this, uh, you know, to this series. Uh, part one is is pretty much talking about the uh, the foundations, right? So it's it's talking about the methods, uh, the goals, the uh, you know various things that we've talked about so far. And then part two is really looking at how do you apply these to different phases of uh, of uh, you know the growth of children. So there's three sort of main sections there. One is uh, uh, from infancy to childhood. The second is during childhood, and then the third is around teenagers. So, so you can see uh, as we go through those, um, you know, you can see, um, yeah. So I guess there's, there'll be three more classes likely. So you can see how, um, uh, you know, how we apply some of these principles uh, for, you know, for those different age groups because it tends to vary. If you remember the chart I showed last time or last few times, you know how, you know, as you go on your authority, the use of authority comes down and the use of influence uh, is to go up. Uh, you know, the use of the rod is to come down, the use of communication is to go up in terms of, uh, you know, what predominates. Uh, so we'll just look at each of those phases in a little bit more detail. We already looked at the infancy to childhood uh, a little bit when we were talking about the rod. Uh, so last week we completed the main, the, the, the study of the rod and we had a good uh, Q&A for last two weeks, I guess. We had a Q&A last week, so I, I hope, uh, you know, I know everybody was sort of waiting for that. I, I hope you found it to be a little different than uh, maybe you found it different than what you might have thought. And I hope some of you are practicing it and that you, you know, if you have any stories to share or any challenges to share, uh, happy to hear them and, and try to address them. Uh, but, um, you know, but it's important that we do this in a balanced way. So, so what I'll do today is um, since uh, we're sort of going to wrap up this uh, uh, part one uh, of the course, uh, I will, let me share my screen. I'll just do a quick recap uh, of, uh, you know, of, of the key points of the lesson uh, very, very quickly, maybe in about, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 minutes or so. And then we'll get into the lesson for today, okay? Uh, which is about the appeal to conscience, which is something that goes along with the rod and the, and the reproof. Uh, which, as we saw, the two primary means of discipline. All right, so um, so uh, yeah, we we talked about the three concepts, right, all throughout that uh, very important concept about authority. That's the describes the parent's relationship to the child. The parent is an authority over the child. This is what scripture teaches us. We talked about shepherding, right? Everything we've talked about is shepherding. Describes the parent's activity toward the child. So what you're trying to do here is not to discipline the child. Discipline is a tool. Of shepherding, right? So that's why it's a it's a much broader, um, you know, broader exercise here. Uh, it's about shepherding. So just like a shepherd, you know, uh, sort of prods and pushes the sheep in the direction they want to go in. Uh, they want the shepherd wants them to go in and engage in those kind of behaviors. The shepherd wants the sheep to do. Similarly, you are you are gradually sort of moving the child, you know, off the wrong path into the right path. And when they stray, you're bringing them back in with that rod and uh, you know that's the, you can you can picture that in your mind right and that's a that's a um, uh, an exercise or a uh, activity that starts from the time that they are born into your home till they leave your home and sometimes even beyond right right so um, and then 
the centrality of the gospel. So we'll we'll focus a little bit more about it today. And and this is something we have to keep in mind. And and we tend to often forget that what we are trying to do here is to is to get the child to really internalize the message of the gospel. And you do that through the process of shepherding their hearts, right? And we'll talk about the heart in a second. Uh, but but this has to be central and we should never lose sight of it. And we have to always stop and ask ourselves, am I losing sight of it? Am I, uh, you know, in the way I'm dealing with my child or my children? Am I uh, am I communicating? Uh, am I focusing on this on the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? So we talked about the behavior and the heart. So our goal in discipline is not just changed external behavior, but rather to use behavior. Okay, external behavior is what we see. Okay, it's the it's the fruit. Okay, but it reflects what's in the heart, just as as Jesus talked about. You know, the Pharisees and all that their heart was not in the right place. And he says, out of the abundance of the heart you know, the mouth speaks, right? So we want to see what comes out of their mouth, what comes out in terms of their actions uh, and their expressions. And we want to work back from that into the heart, right? And understand what are the heart issues. And we talked about some of the core heart issues like selfishness and hatred and, um, you know, idolatry and all these kind of things. Uh, but that's what we are trying to do when you shepherd a child's heart is you're trying to get their heart into the right place. You're getting their heart aligned with God's way of thinking. You're getting their heart aligned with the gospel uh, and understanding of, of of why their heart is sinful, okay, fundamentally sinful. And that's the goal that we are trying to do here, right? We are, so we're not just trying to fix their behavior. And you find is that what you want is behavior, right behavior that comes out of, that flows out of a right heart attitude. So we talked about the goal, um, you know, as we raise our children, you know, our goal is really from 1 Corinthians 10, 31, uh, which is to, to do everything we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God, right? So teaching our children to use their abilities, their aptitudes, their talents and intelligence to glorify God rather than make their lives better, right? So it's not about them, uh, but it's about pleasing God. It's about glorifying God. And keep that in mind. And this is something I would encourage every parent periodically to the parent, uh, you know, the, both the parents, husband and wife, father and mother, uh, to to ask themselves, you know, how is our child doing? Okay, how, how, is, how is she or how is he doing in terms of understanding that their purpose in life, okay, their vision for life is to glorify God. Okay, we talked about unbiblical methods of parenting, you know, bribery and following whatever our parents did because, you know, we feel like, well, we turned out okay, so that must be okay. Well, we got to, we got to go back to scripture, right? Whether our parents, maybe our parents did something that wasn't scriptural, it turned out, we turned out okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you always go back to the foundation, which is, which is scripture. We talked about some other methods like bribery and contracts and rewarding good behavior, to just modify the behavior. So you're, you're, if you do that, you're training the heart to really uh, be driven by self-interest. You know, if it's good for me, okay, I will change my behavior because it's good for me. So what happens is uh, when that good outcome is no longer there, if their heart is not in the right place, then they will revert back to the, the wrong behavior, right? Uh, emotional, appealing to emotional emotions, 
you know, not you're you're appealing. So so this is an example of this that we saw is, you know, you say, well, you you know, look what you're doing to dad, or look what you're doing to mom. You make me so sad when you behave this way. You know, all the things that I do for you. You know, the problem with this is all uh, is that is that you're not appealing to them to obey for the glory of God, right? You're not appealing to them and teaching them that they should obey, not because of what impact it has on you personally, but they should obey because simply because, you know, the word of God says that, that, that children are to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. And there's a promise associated with it, right? So uh, another unbiblical method is punitive correction, you know, using the threat. So we talked, this came up again and again. And, uh, you know, can we just use the threat of the rod, right? So, um, you know, uh, again, you're not addressing the root issues. You've got to ask yourself, when I do that, Okay. Okay. Fine. If I if I use the threat if I use the threat, and the child changes its behavior, what have I really achieved? Okay. Go back to, you know, go back to uh, this. Right. Am I really achieving change in the heart? Am I making them think, you know, of what's going on in the heart? Now I might get the result I want in the short term. Right. I might, uh, uh, you know, uh, be able to. Uh, um, get them to behave the way I want because I took out the stick and I threatened to use it and, and I feel good. Okay, I didn't have to use it and they changed. Wonderful. Okay, not wonderful. Okay, not wonderful because all you're getting there is external behavior. Okay, uh, driven by a threat. Okay, because in the short term, they know that. So what happens when they leave you when that threat is no longer there, right? If you haven't fixed, if you haven't addressed the heart issue, you know, all of these things will come back in a different uh, situation or different circumstance. Okay. All right. Uh, we talked about the, yeah, the biblical pair methods that God has given us as a rich, full communication in the rod. Okay. The rod and reproof. Um, and we talked about, uh, first of all, we spend a lot of time on communication about the dialogue and, and it's focus or understanding the child. It's not just about dumping whatever you want into the child. It's about understanding the child because in order to change their heart, Okay, in order to change their heart, you have to listen to them. You have to know where their heart is, what is going on in their minds. Okay, and you 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 use as a way to help them to deal with that internal struggle with sin. Okay, uh, and we talked about different types of communication and how these sort of blend together. And it's not like a, you know these are things that you need to dwell on and say you know and and, and have a basic uh, understanding with that that improves with experience, you know, is this a time, is this particular thing require me to focus on encouragement? Does it require me to focus on correction? Does it require me to focus on rebuke uh, or a combination of the above, right? Uh, is it entreaty and pleading? Is it uh, instruction and teaching? Is it a warning, right? Uh, or is it prayer? So very often in a particular discipline scenario, you will find one or more, or two or more of these sort of being blended together, okay? and and what is what is not that important. It's just that you have to have this in mind, right? And you've got to be thinking through these things as you're disciplining your child. So we talked about the rod uh, and, uh, you know, what is the rod? Rod is something that scripture clearly talks about, you know, because a child is born as a sinner, a child is folly bound up in his heart. And it says the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And if you spare the rod, if you don't use the rod, then then you, you have, uh, you know, you are, uh, you know, potentially driving the child to uh, dangerous consequences and even even death, right? Uh, so we talked about uh, the rod that it has to be used, right, in balance with communication. Talked about the uh, 
the definition of the rod, you know, it's a parent uh, undertaking is his or her responsibility of careful, timely, measured, controlled use of physical punishment, okay, to underscore the importance of obeying, right, and rescue the child from continuing in foolishness. Okay, we talked about that, uh, what the rod is not, and what uh, we typically end up using it for, which is all the wrong things, okay? Uh, we use it out of temper and anger. We use it to hit them whenever we want. We use it, uh, uh, you know, to vent our frustrations. We use it to punish them, and we really want to punish them and, 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 and apply retribution to them. Uh, and we use it to, you know, to be vindictive. We use it in a vindictive way to show our anger, to, to take out our anger on them, right? So, uh, so these are distortions of the rod, and we should be very careful uh, that uh, and examine, in examining our own uh, way that we do this so that we don't uh, misuse the rod. Uh, let's talk about some of the fruits, okay? What is the, uh, what is the fruit? What is the results that you get when you consistently use the rod, okay, uh, with your children, uh, a lot of what happens uh, in reality is a misuse of the rod. So, uh, you know, what what you're hoping to achieve, or what the Word of God tells us you'll achieve, is that you know you teach them this principle of sowing and reaping, right? Whatever they sow is what they're going to reap. That whatever they do, their behavior, their 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 hard attitude, which drives that behavior, has consequences, and those consequences are often very negative. Um, you know, uh, if they steal, for example, okay, they might steal something, a little money from you at home or, or from somebody else or from their brother or sister, right? And uh, uh, and they might do that. And, and the consequence of that today may not be very great because it's all within the home. But, but, but if that continues and they think that stealing is okay, then, you know, when they get out into the world, they'll start stealing, maybe from their job, maybe from others, you know, become thieves. And you can see what the consequences of that are. Uh, it shows that uh, God has authority over us because we we use the rod because God has told us to use the rod. It trains the child to be under authority. It shows our parental love. Just as God chastens the son or the daughter whom he loves, we read in Hebrews 12.5. Okay, and again in Hebrews 12.11, that it, it results in the harvest of peace and righteousness. Okay, so we talked about the when and the how. When the child has heard a direction, is within his capacity to understand but he has chosen not to obey, okay? And he's not chosen not to obey right away without excuse, without delay, without challenging. Uh, then that's when you use the rod. And when this behavior continues, you use the rod until the child understands and changes, right? And, and we talked about the how. I'm not going to get into the details, but we talked about maintaining the child's dignity, telling them, having that, that um, um, you know, ha having the, uh, um, uh, the, the, um, um, conversation with them, right? The communication, helping them understand what they've done wrong, right? And then reminding them of, of uh, you know, of the consequences and, and and connecting it to scripture, which we'll talk a little bit more about today, you know, connecting it to scripture uh, and, and the gospel, right? And then making sure that you do it in a way that doesn't uh, equate to child abuse and doesn't damage them, uh, you know, and then you, you take the child and you, you, you reconcile with them, right? So you got to leave that. You restore them, make them understand that now that you've punished them, okay, and you've taught them this lesson that uh, therefore you are, um, you know, you, you're now reconciled, right? There's no lingering sort of hard feelings about it that carries forward. And if you, if you do this last point here about prayer, right, make the child pray and you pray for him and you explain the gospel to him, you'll find that this can become very, effective and it sort of takes a little bit takes the edge off of it and the child sees it as not just a parent spanking not just a punishment but but when you are instructing remember children 
you know, we know children want our time. They want to always ask us things. And one of the things that I struggle with uh, these days is, uh, you know, uh, is that we're always so preoccupied, you know, whether it's with our phones, whether it's talking to others, whatever. And when the child is asking questions, we're almost always thinking, okay. And sometimes the child, when they ask, start asking a question, you know, they can go on and on and on for explaining simple things, right? And I can just feel that thing. Oh, I wish this child would just finish because I, I got to go do this other thing. You know, I got to prepare for this message. I got to, you know, and we want them to be done. And then we give them some, some cursory answer and it's okay, fine. Now go and do your thing, right? Um, no, we got to, we got to treasure those opportunities because the child wants your attention. The child wants to have that conversation with you. And when the child wants to talk to you, you know, um, you know, is when it's a great opportunity for you to use that opportunity to teach them, right? And I can tell you, as the child grows, that desire, you know, to talk to you is going to diminish, okay? I know, I mean, I have teenagers and, and older ones uh, who are out of the home now, and, and there are days when I wish, man, why doesn't this, why doesn't this child at least send me a WhatsApp message, you know? And, uh, you know, they're fine. It's not that they, they have a problem with me. It's just, you know, not top of their mind, you know? Yeah, I'm fine. Why do I need to? inform and you're sitting here wishing you know so the time will come when you'll wish that your child would ask you a question at least come to you just not it's not important what they ask or what they want to talk about but it's just that they're talking to you you know they're reaching out to you that they're thinking about you uh, and they care what you think okay uh, so when your child is young and wants to talk to you wants to you to read a book to them or whatever you know use that opportunity okay don't pass it up because that's that's the opportunity to you know that's the deuteronomy 6 opportunity right to when you when you sit down when you stand up when you lie down when you walk by the wayside you know uh, at all times right having that communication with them and talking to them right that's what builds that relationship and when you when you bring that into the uh, avenue where you have to use a rod right then you're you're really making sure that they get that impression that the rod is not just about the rod. It's just not just about parent taking out their anger or, or whatever, not just about punishment, but it's also about instruction, right? And you're blending the two together. So we talked about balance, very, uh, very important point. Okay, uh, we got to balance these two, okay? And based on the, on, on the age of the child, um, you know, you got the rod and you got that communication, you got the rod and the rich communication, right? And if you use a rod too much, it leads to you being us being authoritarian. If you use too much communication, it leads to permissiveness, right? And you got to balance. There were a lot of questions around it. I hope, I hope you're very clear on this. Be disciplined. You and I, you know, our parents have to be disciplined about this, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, always blended with words of encouragement, right? Along with the discipline, uh, physical discipline. So rod, preserves biblically rooted parental authority, rich communication prohibits that tyrannical discipline. And depending on the age of the child, you know, one takes, um, uh, you know, takes pre predominance over the other. Okay, so today we're gonna to talk about something, um, you know, uh, uh, it's not so much a method, but it's sort of a, uh, I suppose you could say it's a method, but uh, it's something that goes along with, uh, it, it really has more to do with the communication part, okay, which is this appeal to the conscience. So I hope you all read chapter 12. It, it explains it uh, very well, right? The appeal to conscience is something that, uh, and, uh, you know, the author here talks about the fact that, you know, oh gosh, okay, that, that, that we all have a conscience, right? We all have a conscience and, um, and, and it tells us the God has given given us, whether you're a uh, Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't matter. All human beings have a conscience. And this is sort of explained to us in, in uh, Romans chapter two, 
which I'll just read here very quickly, Romans 2.12 onwards, it says, uh, for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So what he's talking here is about the law of Moses, and he says that even if you didn't have the law, or you didn't know the law, like you were not the part of the children of Israel, you know, you will still perish, okay, uh, in your condition of being without the law. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you've sinned knowing the law, then you will be judged by the law, right? For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law. So if you don't, if you don't do what you heard, okay, you will not be justified. For when Gentiles, and here's the key point here, for when Gentiles, that is, those who are not Jews, who do not have the law, so they've not been given the law, they may not know the law, um, by nature, do the things in the law. So what do we do? We find that everybody has a sense of right and wrong. Now, some of them have all this relativistic thinking and, 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 and they can't explain why it's right or wrong because it doesn't fit in with their, with their uh, you know, postmodern uh, relativistic mindset. Uh, but it says that, but they still do the right. They still say, well, you know, helping a poor person is the right thing to do. Well, why is it a right thing to do, right? Um, you know, uh, it doesn't logically fit their worldview, but still they do it. So that's the conscience, right? So when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, so you find that everybody sort of generally follows, you know, everybody sort of respects the Ten Commandments. Nobody, I, I've not heard anybody argue with anything in the Ten Commandments and say that, uh, you know, uh, that it's actually wrong, okay? Maybe there are some crazy people who do that, but for the most part, you give that to anybody, Hindu, Muslim, uh, they'll say, oh yeah, those are all good things, right? Uh, so uh, these, although not having the law, they are a law to themselves. So that's the conscience, okay? They have that mindset. They have something in their mind that tells them. So that is the law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their heart. So, so uh, you know, their conscience, and here he addresses it as the conscience. He calls it, the conscience, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God rejects the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, so what it's saying here is very clear that everybody, every human being, Jew and Gentile has this conscience and the conscience convicts them. Okay, it convicts them that these particular things are wrong. Okay, and of course you can suppress the conscience People get jaded, they suppress the conscience. Others are somewhat um, responsive to the conscience and they'll stop from doing what the conscience is telling them is wrong. You know, and others follow it, right? So sometimes others follow it at times and other times they don't. So, um, you know, what the, the important point here is that when we, we need to realize that our children, uh, they have this thing called a conscience that God has given them and, uh, and they have, they're born... Uh, you know, even as they're born as, sin as sinners, they still have this sense of right and wrong, right? So you got to appeal to our children, our appeal to our children, okay? When we appeal to them, when we talk to them in the, uh, in the context of punishment and discipline, okay? We need to smite their conscience. We need to prick their consciences, right? And, and, and that's what he gives us example of, um, you know, how in Proverbs, uh, you know, it talks about uh, the, the appeal to the conscience. When you look at Proverbs 23, which talks about the rod and the reproof, okay, some of the verses that come up in verse 17, don't let your heart envy sinners. Keep your heart on the right path. Listen to your father who gave you life. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. My son, give me your heart. Okay, so, so there's all this entreaty and appeal going on to their conscience. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to appeal to that portion of their minds, okay, that has a sense of right and wrong. 
Okay, so when they hit their child, their, their, their sibling, right? There is a sense of right and wrong. And you know, you, you can see that they put their heads down, they feel guilty, okay? And Jesus uh, gives us example in the, uh, you know, in his dealings with the Pharisees, right? Uh, and uh, this is the, uh, you know, he, he, he asked them a question, right? So they come and they ask him something. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if we just go to that passage in Matthew, uh, 21, right? So Jesus, and of course, the Pharisees were always trying to trap Jesus, right? We know that. And we find that Jesus always uh, responds uh, by asking them a question. This is a great model, you know, uh, for uh, for dealing with our children. You know, you always ask them questions, you know, make them talk because that's what reveals their heart, right? So Matthew 21. Um, so after Jesus entered and he's cleansed the temple, right? Um, you know, they come and question his authority, right? Verse 23, he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as, as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So they're like, they came here to question his authority and say, who do you think you are? Okay, so remember, Jesus just, uh, you know, he has just uh, cleansed the temple. He has come into Jerusalem on the donkey, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, you know, and all these things. And, and he's walked into the temple and he's turned everything upside down. He's created this big commotion. And then he's gone and he's cursed this fig tree. And then they come to him. When he comes back into the temple, they're like, hey, who do you think you are? Right? Who, do you, who, who gave you this authority? By what authority? And they're questioning Jesus' authority. And then Jesus, uh, you know, turns it around and he starts asking them these questions. Right? Uh, and he says, uh, you know, um, I will ask you one thing, uh, you know. Uh, and he goes on and he asks them about the baptism of John, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and they're, they they you know, they're confused. They don't know how to answer. He sort of, you know, puts them in a, in a bind. Uh, and then Jesus says, okay, let me, let me give you another scenario, right? And he gives a scenario of the, uh, of the, um, of the two sons, right? One who says that, uh, you know, when the father asked him to do something, he, he says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But then he just ignores it. The other one who says, I will not do it. But then he gets convicted later and he goes and does it. Right. And he says, uh, well, which one of them did the first? So, so Jesus is, is appealing to their sense of right and wrong. Right. So they know in their minds that, that what the first son did is, 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 is just lip service. Right. And not action. And so that's wrong. And so he says the second one. Right. Uh, so which of the two did what his father wanted. Sorry, the first one, okay, who, who actually, although he said the wrong thing, he says, I, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. Okay, but then, you know, he changes his mind and does it, right? And then Jesus asked them another question, right? Uh, and they, so they answered this correctly. And then he goes and tells them the parable of the landowner, right? And, and he's trying to get them to realize their wrong thinking and, and, uh, and convict them. Uh, and then he talks about this this uh, landowner who builds a wine press, and he sends the servants to collect the wine and uh, you know the harvest. And then um, uh, you know they they destroy that the, those people. And then he sends the son, uh, you know, and they kill the son and all that. And he says, well, what what is the what is the father going to do? Again, he's appealing to their sense of right and wrong. Okay, uh, and uh, then finally he 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 lays it on them at the end, you know, and and they understood what he was doing. Uh, you know, what he was saying. Uh, he was basically equating them to, you know, so they themselves have to say, well, yeah, obviously, you know, what these people deserve is to be destroyed, right? They need to be, they, they deserve. So, um, you know, um, he will rent the vineyard. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, 
okay, the ones who killed the son. Uh, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him uh, his share of the crop and harvest. So he'll give it to people who are actually obedient and do what they're supposed to do, right? So they are sort of condemning themselves here. You see, you see what's going on here. Jesus is getting them to condemn themselves, okay? Uh, and uh, you know, and because then later on in verse 46 it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable. They knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. So, of course, their response was all wrong. Okay, but they knew their conscience was pricked and they knew and they themselves had to admit that, yeah, whoever did that is wrong. And Jesus, well, that's you, right? Because you, uh, you know, my father, God, okay, sent his prophets to you. You killed them. Now he sent me, his son. And you're asking on whose authority? You know, it's, you know, I'm, I have, I have been given this authority by God because, you know, this is God's vineyard and I am God's son. Right, and you have stoned all the prophets, and you've killed them, and now he sent me as the final. You know, in Hebrews one, it says that God in the last days has spoken to us by His Son. He sent His begotten Son to you, me. Okay, His begotten Son to you to talk to you and and call you to repentance, but you have rejected me, right? Uh, and and so they condemn themselves by their answer because you know He's appealed to their conscience. In their conscience, they cannot. Uh, say that you know they cannot they cannot they have to answer in this way right uh, and of course that made them more angry but they understood what jesus was saying you know they they understood that he was talking about them and and this is uh, you know what what um, what jesus is doing here is appealing to their conscience and and you know yesterday for another reason i was reading uh, the story and you can see the same thing okay uh, the same uh, uh, thing that uh, the prophet Nathan does with David, right? Let's just quickly go there. Um, it just occurred to me, uh, you know, when I was reading this, that this is also an appeal to conscience. So you look at, you know, um, um, I think it's first, uh, second Samuel chapter 12. So we all know the story. So if, uh, I'll just turn there and read it. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting how Nathan approaches David. Now keep in mind that David is the king and, you know, uh, for Nathan the prophet to come and 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 talk to them, uh, you know, uh, in in this way was probably a fearful thing, and especially, you know, God has sent him there to tell him that, uh, you know, hey, uh, hey, David, you really messed up here. Okay, what you did was wrong, and and God is very very upset with you, right? He's he's committed adultery with Bathsheba, and and what does Nathan do? So again, he tells a story, right? And he tells a story about this uh, this man, and look at David, pretty much condemns himself, doesn't he? Huh? There were two men in one city, one rich and the poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. And you see how Nathan is sort of building up the appeal to David's conscience, right? Uh, the poor man had nothing. So already he's feeling, you know, that pity for the poor man. Oh man, the rich guy is everything. The poor man is nothing. Uh, the, the sense of justice, okay, the sense of justice and, and rightness and wrongness, you know, that's that's inherent within the conscience of David. The poor man, nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished and it grew up. And he's just sort of, he's just, you know, just building up to this, right? And not only was it that he had, he had one little ewe lamb, uh, you know, but he bought it. The poor man, imagine what it would have cost for the poor man to buy it, okay? And he nourished it. He fed this thing, right? He took care of this thing. And they grew up together, uh, together with him and with his children. It was like this lamb was so precious to him that he was like a child of his, okay? So you can just see, see David's conscience, you know, starting to build up, you know, towards uh, the climax here. He ate of his own food and drank from his own cup. I mean, Nathan is really laying it on here. 
okay with the story and he lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him so you can imagine a father a daughter you know and 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 that sort of love and 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 um, you know the connection there and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him okay um, so uh, so so he says what happens right here's the the poor man uh, lamb the, the rich man comes and takes it away and then you see you know david's conscience in full full flow full gear now okay uh, he's in fourth gear or fifth gear or whatever okay so david's anger was greatly aroused against that man okay and you see now now what nathan's done is he's appealed to the conscience of david and he's gotten him all worked up to realize the gravity of the sin in this case uh, a parable okay a, a made up story um, you know very different context than what david did but but the same principle right as the lord lives the man who has done this shall surely die okay so he's he, he gets the point of the sin he gets the seriousness of it he gets the injustice of it you know and nathan has appealed to his conscience and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity so what did david just do okay david just condemned himself right because nathan has appealed to his conscience and then then nathan sort of lowers the boom right he says then nathan said to david you are the man thus says the lord god i anointed you king over israel and i delivered you from the hand of saul and so on and so forth i gave you a master's house and and gave you the house of israel and judah i would have given you much more okay so he is he says you are the rich man right in the story why have you despised the command of the lord to do evil in his sight you have killed uriah the hittite with the sword you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of ammon now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of uriah the hittite to the to your wife thus says the lord behold i will raise up adversity against you from your own house and i will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun and this happened later when with absalom uh, for you did it secretly but i will do this thing before all uh, before all israel before the sun now david is so stricken here he gets he understands the gravity of what he has done because nathan followed this 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 approach right he's appealed to his conscience he's gotten him worked up an understanding to that sense of justice he have and then what does david say he has no response other than david said to nathan i have sinned against the lord you know i have sinned against the lord and nathan said to david the lord also has put away your sin you shall not die however because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the lord to blaspheme the child also who is born to you shall surely die then nathan departed to his house so you see here that uh, you know how do we apply this in in child um, in in child discipline or disciplining your children or in shepherding your child's heart right it, it's that you know when you when you talk to them okay um you know you expose the sin right you do it in a way that the child has a sense of right and wrong you go back to the scriptures you help them to to understand why it's wrong or why it's right or what is right and what is wrong and get them to admit their behavior was wrong that's what david did here right he he ended up admitting yes i have sinned against the lord right you need to get them to see that it's not just about hitting uh, your brother or sister okay it's not just about saying um, you know a mean word or mean words or uh, or putting them down right uh, but it's about sin and and we have to make sure that we are uh, that that we are bringing this out right and we are exposing their heart right i just want to read a passage here 
uh, that he says that, uh, you know, this is your task in shepherding. This is on page 118 at the bottom. You must make a point of appealing to the conscience to see them deal with the issues of their Godward oriented. You must take orientation. You must take correction beyond behavior to addressing the issues of the heart. You address the heart by exposing sin and appealing to the conscience as the God-given adjudicator of right and wrong, right? It's not that, you know, why is hitting your, your brother and sister wrong? It's because it's sin. It's because it does not reflect love, because it reflects selfishness. It reflects you, uh, you know, the sin of selfishness, right? Um, the sin of pride, okay? You go back and, and point them to the sin, right? You expose the, uh, you know, you address the heart by exposing sin and appealing to the conscience as God-given adjudicator of right and wrong. And they will get it because they have this conscience, right? So, uh, so I think that's, uh, I, I hope everybody understands that. You know, and uh, and he has a nice little story here about this boy Charlie. Uh, you can you can read that. Uh, Charlie's conscience was smitten by the gospel. Something in what I said struck a chord that resonated within his young larcenous heart. The gospel hit its mark in his consciousness. Okay, so appeal to the conscience. That's pretty much what it is, right? You're appealing to the sense of right and wrong, right? By going back and 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 uh, you know helping them understand maybe using parables like this maybe uh, you know uh, by by talking to them and helping them to 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 really uh, leverage their own sense of right and wrong to understand that what they have done is not right okay and this only comes by communication okay it's not just by uh, whacking them with a rod out of anger okay the second point uh, is that you uh, you you also and this goes back to the earlier point we made about the centrality of the gospel, right? Um, is that this goes along with a with a central, correcting with a central focus on redemption. So so it's a great opportunity when you have to correct a child to, uh, to bring in this focus on redemption, the redemption that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you know, the centrality of the gospel, right? So central focus of child rearing is to bring children to a sober assessment of them as, as sinners. So you, as you do this repeatedly, okay, as you talk to them, you, you talk to them about their sin, you know, they are building up that knowledge that, you know what, I am a sinner. I do so many wrong things that sin against God, that go against the word of God. I am a sinner. And they must understand the mercy of God who offered Christ as a sacrifice for sinners. So that's a great opportunity when they understand that they are a sinner and they don't have any hope on their own. You say, you bring in the gospel, right? You bring in the redemption uh, that is available at the cross of Christ, okay? So, so you know, you don't dilute the standard of righteousness. You uphold that standard of righteousness and you teach them that God wants the highest standard of righteousness and, and we as sinners don't have any hope except in the cross because God loved us so much that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, okay, to, uh, to die on the cross uh, for us, right? And uh, and if we don't do that, then what we end up doing is, you know, we 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 produce hypocrites, right? He talks about it in this in this chapter here, right? Um, you know that uh, the 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 point is that, you know, we have to turn them from hypocrisy. We have to turn them, shepherd their heart towards the right attitudes. Okay, so hypocrisy and self righteousness is the result of giving children uh, a keepable law. So what we end up doing is we start creating rules. Okay. This is okay. This is not right. That's exactly what the hypocrites, the Pharisees, did. Right? The 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 scribes and the Pharisees. They, you know, you had all the law of Moses, and and you see in the Gospels where Jesus sort of reinterprets the law of Moses. Right? When he says, you know, thou shalt not uh, 
uh, lust, right? Thou shall not uh, commit adultery, right? And uh, and so they had made all these laws about adultery and what constitutes adultery, and they had put down, you know, ten point thing of what is adultery, everything, you know, how do you keep the Sabbath? You know, this is okay, that that is not, this is okay, that, and so on and so forth. And they had made all these rules to make people feel righteous. Oh, I have done, I followed my you know, 20 point checklist for the Sabbath. So I'm great, you know, I'm righteous. Okay, but then what does Jesus call them? He says, you, you hypocrites, you whitewashed sepulchers, right? Because their heart was not in the right place. And Jesus reinterprets all of that. He says, you know what? The point of that saying, thou shall not commit adultery was not just to uh, say that you shouldn't commit the physical act. Okay, the issue is your heart. Go back to your heart. You know, and I tell you that if you look on a woman with lust, Okay, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart, right? And and then he goes on and he he basically reinterprets the law and he's trying to teach them that um, you know in the gospel of the kingdom that uh, that um, you know what what matters is your heart attitude. The purpose of giving that was for you to to see what is God's righteous standard, so that you know you can you can cleanse your hearts, right? Your hearts can be cleansed and and you can be transformed, right? Which of course we know is available only uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So uh, so bring them to this assessment of themselves as a sinner. Help them to understand that the cause of their wrong behavior is sin, okay? You present them with the truth of the mercy of God who offered Christ a sacrifice for sinners. And, and there's no, uh, you know, there's no barrier to the age of the child here. You know, start as young as possible. If your child can understand your instructions, they can understand the elements of the gospel. Now don't, please don't go and take... Uh, uh, teach them the theology of soteriology and all that kind of stuff, okay? What is propitiation and redemption and uh, uh, justification and expiation and all these things. There's a time for that later, okay? In simple terms, you don't need to, you know, explain all those terms, okay? Even to a one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, if they understand, you know, you got to start, start them young, you know? Teach them about sin, teach them about Christ and the gospel. Teach them again about sin, teach them about Christ and the gospel so that it gets drilled into their mind. I am a sinner and, and, and Christ is a savior. Okay, Christ is, has come to save me from that sin, right? He, he was offered as a sacrifice. So always focus on the cross and, and maintain that standard of righteousness, okay? That God standard, you know, your correction must hold the standard of righteousness as high as God holds it. God's standard is correct behavior flowing from a heart that loves God and has God's glory as the sole purpose of life. So what happens is when we start making rules, okay, well, you will never hit your, your brother or sister. Okay, now they might not hit it, but they still harbor hatred in their hearts, right? So they become hypocrites, right? So so don't just focus, don't just give them these keepable laws, which is what the scribes and Pharisees did, okay? And telling them that, oh, if you do this, you're good. Oh, you're such a good child. You didn't, uh, you know, you didn't... Uh, um, hit your brother or sister today, okay? But, you know, uh, look at it the flip side, right? Did they show love? Did they take care of their brother and sister today? Did they really show love from the heart towards them? Did they do something unselfish for their brother or sister? No, if they didn't, then the heart is not in the right place, right? To the extent that they are successful, they become like the Pharisees, people whose exterior is clean while inside they are full of dirt and filth. Okay, so uh, so uh, I like the statement here. The genius of Phariseeism was that it reduced the law to a keepable standard of externals that any self-disciplined person could go could do. Right. So this is like the ritual. I mean, it's like you know we see all these people. There are there are uh, there are probably 
you know, Hindus and Muslims, definitely Muslims out there who are far more pious than some of us are, okay? I mean, they do their namaz and their prayers five times a day and they, uh, you know, they fast during Ramadan and they, you know, go to Mecca and do whatever they have to do, right? So the genius of Phariseeism was that it reduced the law to a keepable standard of externals that any self-disciplined person could do. In their pride and self-righteousness, they rejected Christ. And you see the Pharisees rejected Christ, right? Who was sort of the embodiment uh, of the law, right? So, uh, so yeah, so the... The important thing is that, you know, we focus on redemption, okay? We focus on the gospel, right? And even as we appeal to their conscience, which is to convict them of their sin, okay? Self-conviction of sin, you know, you then bring in the gospel and the focus on redemption, okay? So uh, let, me, uh, let me quickly summarize this part one. Uh, so that's what chapter 13 does. So, uh, you know, he's got like six points there. Number one. You know, your children are a product of two things, a shaping influence and their Godward orientation. Okay, so what is the parenting parent's role? Number one, you provide the best shaping influences you can, the environment around them. Uh, you know, there are some things you can control, some things you can't, you know. So you do have an obligation to provide the best shaping influences because they do uh, shape the child. And number two, you know, you are to carefully shepherd your children's responses to those influences, right? There are some influences you can't control, but you can teach them. You know, you can shepherd them to respond in a proper way. Number two, okay, it's the heart that determines behavior. So therefore you learn to work back from the behavior to the heart, expose the struggles of the head to see that, you know what, I understand that you are struggling, okay? Uh, and the only way to deal with that struggle is by is through Christ and the gospel and truly knowing God. Okay, number three, you have authority because God has made you his agent. You are the agent of God in the life of that child. Okay, so you are uh, you are following God's instruction. You are not. It's not. You know, you're not following. You're being a faithful steward to what God has asked you to do. The responsibility that He has given you. Right. Your your task is to help your child to know God and the true nature of the reality of God. So this will enable them to know themselves. Number four, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you must communicate and teach this worldview to your children, even at, the, uh, at a young age, especially at a young age, right? And you must help them to understand that true happiness, true contentment can only be found in God, okay? In glorifying him with all your actions and, and all your capabilities. Okay, number five, you must accomplish biblical goals through biblical methods. If the biblical, if the Bible says the rod and reproof, you use the rod and reproof. Okay? Don't substitute worldly things. Okay. Uh, and number six, you know, God has given us two methods. Okay. Uh, communication and the rod. We talked about these extensively the last few weeks. Okay. They must be woven together. Okay. They must be blended together in in practice. Okay. So that you're not, you have the right balance. Okay. You have the right balance between the two uh, and how the rod always goes with communication. That's what makes it truly effective, right? If it's just alone, then it's not going to be effective. All right. So your children need to be known and understood. Um, they also need authority and firmness. Thus the rod is necessary. The rod functions to underscore the importance of the things you talk about with them. Okay. So, so that's the summary of everything we've talked about so far. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I would encourage you to just go to these application questions at the end of each chapter and try to apply some of them, right? Um, 
so so if you look at question number two in chapter 12 you know how do you keep your children focused on the fact that obedience to parents is based on god's command do you ever find yourself basing your requirements simply on your will and desires okay do you find yourself saying well you should do that because that's what i want you to do okay as opposed to no because you know um, you have to obey me because that's the command that god has given to you not to me but to you directly right children obey your parents in the lord for this is right Okay, are you focusing, number three, question number three, are you focusing on your correction and direction? Uh, are you focusing your correction and direction on behavior or on attitudes of the heart, right? So again, are you trying to change behavior because it, it, it works out better for you? People think highly of you. It's less irritation for you. Uh, you know, if you can get the child to be a perfect child externally, then, you know, you can, you'll get praises from people is that what you're trying to do or are you trying to really delve into their hearts and expose the sin in their hearts right so um, so that's pretty much the first part of this uh, course and we'll we'll go into the the three uh, you know time frames of uh, of raising a child in the next few weeks so um, yeah we'll leave it at that and we'll we'll come back to that from next week onwards so we do have a few minutes so uh, let me open it up to some questions if there are any you can send it to me on private chat or you can unmute and ask um happy to answer the section on conscience was uh, was uh, was a good reminder because it's amazing that how um how how the conscience works and how god has given each human being a conscience and which really uh pricks you and which which mm -hmm. uh, which 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 gives you an opportunity to correct yourself because the fact is even even non-believers or even an yep. atheist also uh, I've, I've heard them refer to a conscience that they have mm -hmm. and it's amazing that uh, you know god has planted this uh, in every human being yeah absolutely no no that's good and i think uh, you know obviously it's there in our children as well right so so sometimes we we are on the side of assuming oh the child is too young they don't understand you know uh, and and so i'm not going to get into all that right that's too complicated don't ever assume that right there's no uh, you know the, the, there's no you can't start young enough okay and the younger you start the better uh, having these conversations with them okay and use those opportunities when they when they fight you know think of it you know sometimes we get frustrated when they're fighting or something right but think of it yeah it can be very irritating and aggravating i know i've been through it okay i've been through it with nine kids so uh, so i know how aggravating it is okay when children don't obey or they don't do the right thing but uh, you know i think i think we just need to change our mindset to say you know what wow that's a great opportunity they're exposing their sin okay they're exposing the fruits of sin in their hearts and so it's a it's an opportunity for me to do my role as a parent okay to shepherd their heart and if we start looking at it that way uh, you know, uh, I think it'll change our perspective, right? And we'll, we'll take the time. Okay, uh, it looks like uh, we'll be able to cut out a little early today. Uh, so thank you for your attention. And and yeah, if you have any questions separately, please send them to me or whatever. I'm happy to address them next time. Um,